0: Hello, and welcome to the Blueprint podcast powered by eFuse. The Blueprint creates content around the do's and don'ts of collegiate and scholastic esports while keeping our audience informed on in the facts of the space. We aim to give people in the ecosystem a platform to air out misconceptions, call out bad practices, or just have a soapbox to stand on and discuss whatever is important to them. I am your host, Andy Mendez, and today with me, as always, is my wonderful co host, Michael Viesnes, and special guest, Colin, Colin Graham, excuse me, head coach of Davenport University Esports. Welcome to the blueprint. <laughs> That's all we have. We have a little goes. I and,
1: wish you could hear like,
0: it. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, when you listen to the podcast, you listen to it. But anyway, uh, Colin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing well. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing well. What did you think about the intro? That little music bit right before That's us? That totally sweet, just sweet to?
2: guitar. Yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah, we have
0: our live studio, of course, where where we have a guy just play it twenty four seven whenever we ask. It's actually in the booth um, behind us. Like,
1: what do you? You should wave <laughs> to him. You know. Yeah, yeah, there he is. <laughs>
0: uh, we should come up with a name for that just imaginary person that we have playing that uh, guitar. Anyway, uh, Colin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we want to kind of discuss uh, esports in general, uh, as we usually do. Um, but first off, uh, what, what, is, what is going on in your esports realm right now? Any any new and exciting projects like that you want to talk about? Or is there anything that we could open the show with that you want to chat about?
2: Um, I always like to brag about my program and our CSGO team being the first collegiate team ever to an ESEA main.
0: Um, oh, hu- awesome.
2: Huge shout out to my players and my coach for the amount of time and effort and work that they put in to, um, to achieve this.
0: That is super cool. Could you talk a little bit more about like the event? Like, what what is so? So I I'm not super familiar with how Counter Strike works and Counter Strike events. So you can go ahead, and please tell us tell us like the significance behind that win.
2: Yeah. So ESCA, um, it is not collegiate specific. So this is teams that are amateurs, guys who just want to get together on the weekend and play some games, um, and then teams that are looking to push for the professional realm. So until now, from the looks of it, there's been a lot of college teams that have participated or you'll have individual players from specific college teams with their teams in ESEA. Um, we kind of switched it up within our program this past couple years where we do everything together. So our players do all their collegiate stuff together, do all the semi-pro stuff together, and they've been just working their butts off And the significance of this is, one, one. Um, we're one of the very few programs to ever make it to Advance, which is One Step Up from uh, Maine, which is amazing for practice, it's amazing for experience against teams that are extremely skilled. You're starting to run into teams that are sponsored by organizations and are receiving a salary every month um, that have some crazy resources behind them. Um, so it also prepares us for the collegiate realm where now we're probably one of the front runners to win pretty much everything this year. And I, I don't want to be feel like I'm I'm being cocky about anything, but <laughs> you are six and zero. Oh.
0: Like yeah, I was gonna yeah, say, if you've got if you've got the record to show it, I mean, you say what you'd like. So
2: in ESEA, we lost our first game of the season, and this was our second season in Maine, but it was with a new roster. We brought in Kojo, who has had uh, experience in advance. He played for Valkyrie back in season thirty seven, um, and then was with us for season thirty eight. And he came in. We lost our first game. We just got rolled. We lost sixteen four. And then we did not lose a game after that all the way through the end. So we were picked to win uh early on by some by some power rankings. But we kind of had to prove ourselves after that that misstep at the beginning. But then we, we didn't drop a game. The guys absolutely just grinded it out. And this is on top of now they're in school, they have to maintain their grades, they have to go to classes, they also have their collegiate leagues they have to stay on top of. So I I mean it's an amazing achievement for them as players and individuals within the um, CSGO ecosystem, but I think as students as well, just show that they are balancing all of these different aspects of being a CSGO player and they're succeeding.
1: You know, Amazing. just kind of sticking to the same beat with just CSGO and, and Collegiate, you know, I see the coaching polls uh, from <laughs> May Starling, <laughs> and, and, and I'm confused on when, you know, you were first, you know, in October 11th, right? With that 5-0 mm-hmm. record. But come October 18th, you're six and zero, and you got replaced by a five and one team. I'm I'm confused, especially when there's other six and zero teams there, you know, as well. Like how that coaching ranking, especially with all the skill and talents you have, and right. things you're telling about CSGO right now, how, how does how does it happen? How does the coaching poll kind of flip like that? <laughs>
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna take a little bit of hit on this one. I think it's a bit of a hiccup. Um, there's been some shifts in how I'm a part of the NACE Competition Council, so this has been an internal okay. discussion. And there's been some some vocal individuals, uh, me included, leading up into this past week, where I've looked at the poll. Whether or not we're one or two is not really going to be much of my concern. I think MTU finished uh, the champions last year. I would not be upset if they were number one. They just kept that all year. I think if that's your your rank. Um, you should maintain that until someone beats you. So I was yeah. okay with week one, us coming out number two. That made sense to me. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the other ones, there was teams in there in the top 10 that you looked at, and it was like, they shouldn't be in the top 10. They may be a top 15, top 20 school, but they're not a top 10 school. So that was most of my gripe. Um, there was a week when Purdue ended up being number one. I looked at that. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. And so the thought process was it's open pretty much anyone that has the link. So people could spam it or oh, you could have multiple yeah. people that are filling out just for one school and it looks, it looks semi-legit, but at the same time, it's just people that are showing favoritism and bias towards one school or the other. Um, and so this week we shifted it a little bit and there's an actual council of people that needed, that can vote. The problem was this week, not everyone got their votes in. So the people that did get their votes in, it skewed it a little bit. Whereas like my coach, Chris, if you haven't seen on on Twitter, he does his breakdown every single week of the rate, the coaching poll versus his internal poll, and shows no. This is how it should be. He's like, these are how the the rankings should have gone. Here's the teams. Here's my tier list for them. Here's who they've beaten. Who's who they haven't beaten. Here's who they have left to beat. Um, so I think next week it'll look a lot better. Um, I'm not. If we're one, awesome. Um, I personally, I personally think we deserve to be there. But if it Turns out that someone just doesn't buy in the DU hype, and we end up number two. That's fine, but I don't think you should have a a two loss or one loss team in the one and two spot. Um, Keep that for your undefeated teams right now.
1: Could you give me? Can you give Andy and I here, along with some of the listeners, like a, a peek under the hood? And what goes into the coaches' poll? Like, what what exactly you know are the qualifications that you know these coaches are looking at to vote for to get their vote? Is it is it the is it the record? Is it how the individual players are performing on the team and the overall score? Like, what what goes into it, or is it just you know I like Davenport today, so it's Davenport.
2: I think it's going to depend from coach to coach. Uh, I can only really speak on how Chris's process is, and for the most part, it has to do with. I mean, look at traditional sports, kind of that strength of schedule. Who have you beaten of that's been of note? Have you just beaten up on lower tier teams, or have you played someone that's extremely strong that should be in that top 10 um, or is in that top 10 that justifies your ranking? Uh, for us, part of a justification for having us at number one was we won ESEA Maine. Other schools that were in ESEA Maine were uh, Stony Brook. Uh, Michigan Tech was in there. There was a couple schools in IM. I think uh, Trine University just made IM after the. So there's some talented schools in ESEA, but we won the whole shebang for Maine and we're the highest the highest skilled collegiate team in ESCA. So we should like it makes sense. Um but there's some schools in there, you know, Illinois State, for example, they lost to UCF. So that was a ding against them. UCF yep. is a strong school. And so is Illinois State, but they're going to get hit because this is a loss on their record and maybe they should have beaten him and they didn't. So it was a bit of an upset. So that's going to hurt them in terms of his internal rankings and um, justification for who is where. Outside Mm -hmm. of that, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I'm not in the heads of all the other coaches, so I don't know what their thought processes are. And Mm -hmm. that's, and Chris is fairly transparent. He puts that on social media as a part of an at reply to the polls. So people can say, oh, this is one of our voters, and this is how he justifies what he does, which I think is smart um, to give people a behind-the-scenes look of how the voters are doing. Um, I mean, I know with traditional sports AP Top 25, you know every single voter's name. That's released every single week, and it shows their votes for their Top 25.
1: I think that's what a lot of—why coaches' polls have a bad rep is no one knows why. You know, it is and it's more of a favoritism and it's perceived and the optics are that it's just favoritism, you know, like what team do you just have generally the most hype? Um, and yeah. I think how your coach handles it by, you know, giving that behind the hood or I mean, under the hood look is what coaches need to do. Additionally, it sounds to me like there there's a little bit of a problem. Where I think that the council should have something in terms of a grading scale to kind of look at, which you mentioned, you know, strength of the schedule, like how hard your schedule, how well are you performing, how well your players, as I mentioned, are doing, and then how well your team is doing in said schedule, uh, along with the record. Like, I think talking about that on this release. Cause I, I did pull it up. Uh, would just add some meat to the article along with some decent analytics, because when I pull up that on, uh, NACE Esports you know, I, I see the nice little splash with the, with the logos and, and the, the records. And I have like maybe two, three sentences worth of information and then that's it. And, and I think that isn't doing enough justice to the directors, the coaches and the players, you know, Blood, sweat, and tears to getting to that record and working their asses off in that season, and transversely, it it's a great way for the school and I would say Nace here um, to kind of demonstrate, you know, what goes into esports a little bit more, why the voting is it the way that it is, and kind of give more justification to just collegiate esports. I mean, what are your what are your thoughts on that?
2: I mean, I I agree. I think it's it takes time. I mean, the esports suffers from the issue where I think. You and I may have discussed it in previous conversations where each game is essentially its own sport. So, yeah. one director that's overseeing four, five, six different games isn't going to have that level of expertise in all of them that they may have in one or two. So, exactly. with, with all of the directors in Nays, and I mean, we're all very aware of it, is, you know, I'm not qualified to vote, in my opinion, on things like Overwatch or Rocket League because I don't pay attention to the scene. I know Northwood's going to be a top team because they are and because they have to, you know, listen to Cody every day because he's a part of our conference. And I know how talented they are. But at the same time, I'm not qualified to really go past the top three. I so, just uh,
1: put a pin in that. No, I, I appreciate the the explanation and I definitely love your, your point. And I think that goes into what we were speaking before the pod started. Administrations, right? You know, you you don't know all the games right you can you can get the kids there you could be there but you're not an expert and if you look at every other sport that's out there you know you have a football team with 12 or more coaches you have a baseball team with 12 or more coaches or staff you know you have basketball the same way and then you look at esports and i know you're put as a coach but from what you're telling me you're a director right Right. I, i i hear that in terms of the volume Uh, And the specific nature of professionalism that is required of you to not only for yourself to be successful and your players to be successful, but your program and the university as well. And so my question is, do you believe that why these polls are suffering is that a lot of the institutions that are taking part in that the administration is holding them back? From giving quality staffing positions for a coach that specifically can handle and has a knowledge of that game to provide further feedback, analytics information to kind of generate that collegiate hype. And also to give those specific students and well athletes the ability to succeed further than just being a collegiate esports athlete.
2: Uh, yeah, um, I've had this discussion with my administration multiple times, and it's a learning process. It's kind of a give and take. I think a lot of your universities that are involved in esports right now, they're small, they're smaller universities, Division II, Division III, NAIA type of universities, where esports is primarily a recruiting metric. It is a way to put more butts in seats. Um, I was very aware of that when I came in the door at Davenport, and I've worked within that framework to try to do more uh, as best as I can. Um, and then use the data that I've seen over the course of my now two and a half years to influence conversations I have with my boss. And I brought up to him, each game is its own sport. And the conversation usually goes, I agree, but, and then it goes into, but we need the numbers to justify it. So it may not even be your direct report. It may be the people at the top and it's just a misinformation. And to some degree, some universities may be an unwillingness to look at esports outside of just being gaming and being a recruitment metric. Um, but it does. Like There is a direct correlation between having a coach for a game and the growth and development of the team that they are coaching. Um, I I can look at my rosters and, and pinpoint, this roster didn't have a coach this year. This roster struggled. Well, this next year, they have a coach. Oh, this student who was bronze in Overwatch is now platinum over the course of six months because he now had he had individualized attention from a coach, he had a structure in place that allowed him to say, oh, this is what I need to work on, this is what I need to get better on, mm-hmm. and, and actually yep. attack that. And he had someone that had the know-how and the, the knowledge to take them through scrimmages and say, this is how people do to the next level and help him also accentuate his uh, um, what he's good at, accentuate his yeah. his, his good aspects.
0: And I'm glad you brought that up because this is a reoccurring theme on our podcast, right? yeah. like even even as as Mike brought it up, but we we are we are really finding a pain point in collegiate, and that pain point is we do not have enough staff for the amount of expectations that number one a, an administrator or administration can give, excuse me, uh, but also kind of the the expectations and the level of work that a lot of the d- these directors would like to give their students, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot. There's a lot that that can be on the table for a lot of these students um, that we just can't provide with the resources given, and you can only split your time up so much. And as a director, you know that your your office hours is not really like office hours are a joke. Number one, as a, as a as a collegiate director right now, right? Because you go home and you're available on Discord twenty four seven, right? And that's that's like the reality of the esports ecosystem right now is that you are available. Whenever a student needs you, and, yep. and that that's a very, it's it's not healthy for the individual, right? And I think a lot of people kind of push it aside because they're like, okay, well, I have I have my job in esports, right? And I'm happy with it. Or and or I recognize that a lot of this time has to be put forth in order to make this program great. um But I I think it's taking a big toll on a lot of people. Like even on Twitter, we see, like even this last week, I remember seeing a tweet and it, that prompted me to tweet something. Um, that was uh, along the lines of I am completely stressed out in the fall, and that is like and like 16, 17 different collegiate ath uh, excuse me directors, um, liked that tweet and were like yeah same because it's it's the fall, is is tough. You've got four, five, six teams playing in two different brackets, two different seasons, or even your off season quote unquote teams are playing. Um, it's 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 a it's a whole mess, and not only is this like a culmination of all the things you have to deal with right now but now guess what you get to start your recruiting season <laughs> and, then, and then that's like more time off of your plate that you're going to have to dedicate to to your your craft so it is just a it is a it almost feels like a thankless job right I mean, like I, I don't know
1: there's a there's another thing too and colin kind of hinted at it he went to you know his boss and and wanted to kind of get additional staff and he's like oh you know we got to get those numbers up Um, And some of the directors, the young directors out there, they're trying to figure out what that goalpost is. Um, And some directors have those goalposts constantly moved. Um, So what I would say, Colin, what what do you think? is a healthy number, and I know this is gonna be very biased, but what do you think (laughs) is a healthy recruitment number to kind of look at the addition of another coach? And when would that coach come in on top of that? Like how many titles do I have to add for that coach to come in? And what's the recruitment size to just begin? Is it 40, is it 60 students first, and then I get another coach? Or is it young as every 20 that uh, a new coach or staff member comes in?
2: My ideal ratio of student to coach is one to 10. And that's because we're coaches, but at the same time we're leadership figures, we're people that these students will lean on and you don't want someone to run out of bandwidth whenever a student really needs them. And that's been the push that I've had internally, whether it's finding volunteer coaches to fill those gaps when I can't have paid coaches. I I love that by the way, the way you frame that, that is awesome. Uh, My mom was an educator. Uh, My mom is still an educator. I was raised in that type of a household for her, ratio has always been a big thing, knowing that you need to maintain a certain ratio because if you go outside that ratio and you have too many students, you can't provide the same level of care and attention that those students need. Um, I always like to quote, I'm a big Georgia football fan, and the former coach Mark Richt at one point said, um, he says, I don't have a hundred students, I don't have a hundred players, I have a hundred sons. And the idea is if you're involving yourself in the collegiate realm, you are essentially undertaking this kind of father or mother figure for these students whenever they're away from home. So if you have too many students that you have to oversee at any given time, somebody's going to fall through the cracks and that can lead to things like attrition. Students just kind of like, I don't like it here anymore. I got, I got to go. Or mental health issues where students are, they're just going through something and you don't see it because you're too busy with other things. So one to 10, I think is that, is that magic number. I think 10 is very feasible for an individual to oversee that amount of students. So you would think roughly two rosters per most games outside of maybe Smash and Rocket League. Um, and that's kind of where I've I've aimed at. Now, if I have a full-time coach, I think I can skew those numbers a little bit, whereas a full-time coach may be able to oversee like 15 because he or she will be there all of the time. And that's, I mean, I, I think what that's does, also... What
1: fun. does full-time mean to you, though? like we, um, there's the administration saying full time is something else and right. then there's our ver- so what does full time mean to you
2: I think administrative full time is 30 hours a week i think full time for esports i think you you mentioned it earlier or Andy did where we don't take time off i mean he said well, your recruiting starts in the fall i never stopped recruiting like right. it just it just it never it's this constant battles cuz you're yep. you're yep. always seem to seeming to be seeming to be in season and you're always seeming exactly. to be recruiting. And I think that's not necessarily an administrative issue of the collegiate level. That's also a culture thing. Yeah. We've established yeah. we've established this culture where, like I have students that we took this semester off of Overwatch because of everything that was happening in Blizzard Activision. That hit them pretty hard because while they agreed to it as part of our vote, we allowed the students to vote whether or not they wanted to. But now we're two months into the school year and they're like, I don't know what we're doing because I'm not practicing. I'm not scrimming. I'm not doing all of these things that I should be doing if I was playing because there's this need to always be competing and if you're not it's yeah. that it's that hustle culture, right? Where if you're not working, someone else is out working you.
1: Okay. So, right. let me let me tell you the question a little bit more. How many hours do you think a full-time coach, you know, staff member for esports outside of the director role is required to do, right? And what do you necessarily think is the pay because sometimes you go and look it's a full-time quote-unquote position, twenty-five dollars to $32,000. Oh, by the way, master's degree required.
2: I, mean, I think bachelor's is fine. I think we're also in an industry where the knowledge base, you don't really find that in a school. So I'm not, I think having a degree for a university makes sense because you have to be someone that
1: hundred percent, not saying that the bachelor's degree is not required, but the masters plus like 40 plus hours and then 30 anywhere from 25 to 32,000. Like what do you think is the number in the, in the amount of hours?
2: I would say if you're a director at this point, we need to be talking in the ballpark of 60 plus, um, we need to start, we need to start looking at what is traditional sports doing. Um, I did a little bit of, uh, snooping whenever Arizona opened their job and their tennis coach makes 150 grand a year. That tennis coach oversees maybe 15 total students. Um, the traditional sports model that you see at schools, I would like to see trans come over into the esports a little bit because I think that I'm not saying that they don't deserve that amount of money, but I also think that we're extremely overworked for the amount of money we do make, um, for a full-time like game coach. I think 30 is, is going to be the sweet spot right now, but that's over only overseeing that game. That's, that's you being, you know, the equivalent of like a wide receivers coach and this is your position and this is all you're going to do. And that would be at a D2 level or below. If you're looking D1, once they continue to open the doors to more schools, I would expect um, the salaries of directors to creep up to possibly the six-figure range and then eventually to start seeing your game coaches playing with 45 to 50 just because there is such an additional avenue for these big schools to find more brand recognition for an already established brand, to have another group of students that look at their school and be like, oh, that's where I want to go. I want to be an alma mater. Because I think if you break down the the profit margin per student, if you bring in 15 students and you're averaging $5,000 a student, you've already paid for your game coaches just from those 15 students.
1: Correct. No, correct. I, I like the I like the breakdown and the observation there. the The one thing that I would kind of change, and I know we're working off of your model, um, the one thing that I would change is I think coaches, game coaches, should be paid at least forty five. But where I extend it is past that, just fifteen right i'm i'm not looking at just 15 kids i'm looking about 25 30 kids i think that's enough that you're able to do um essentially in the original model that i've kind of uh, pitched is that a coach could essentially do two titles uh you'd have your varsity junior varsity and then i called it your minor league baseball system uh which would be an additional five kids uh but that depends on the game so it could fluctuate another three another five another six depends on the game that you selected. Um, And that also goes and coincides with, you know, how many kids you're able to give effective time to is definitely possible. Um, And the reason why I'm saying 45 and the reason why I'm looking around 25 to 30, uh, 30 kids per the is I want to make sure that they're getting paid. Um, And I, I think when you look at the standard level of income required and you're asking for someone to be full time, 30 doesn't cut it that much anymore. I mean, especially if, you know, your coach has uh, a bachelor's degree and, you know, they have to pay off their student loans, they have to get to work, they have to get rent, 30 grand in most places isn't going to cut it, it really, really isn't going to cut it, and when you see some of these schools be in the city, on top of that, 30 grand, not going to land you into anywhere that's reasonably doable, no matter how many roommates, That you're looking to be with um and on top of that the amount of hours that you have to do just for that one game and now i'm adding another one is is a lot and i i think 30 grand i I agree with everything else you said but i I think 30 grand is just too low for a game coach um they should get paid more they should be respected a little bit more because they are, are a master of that specific craft and they should know how to recruit For that specific craft as well. In terms of the director, hundred percent degree, uh, they are a master of not only business management but sports management as well, along with marketing. So the sixty figure plus, sixty k figure plus is definitely reasonable. Andy, I've had the mic for too long today. I don't know what's going on, so I'm going to pass it to you right now.
0: You're killing it, man. (laughs) I I was, I was just going to mention that, you know, I think that while like your your figures are pretty like optimistic is what i would say 100% i think i think that um any and i, I don't know, i can't speak for everyone but i think any coach or director i should say head coach or director at any college right now would be happy with a part-time coach to even just alleviate some of that weight 100% um, like ideally ideally i think a head coach or a sorry a a, a game coach that could focus on one or two games um, would be better for your students, and and like full time would be really nice. Like for instance, Illinois Wesleyan University, right? They've got a director, uh, Cora Kennedy, and then she has two coaches that are. Um, uh, I'm now forgetting uh, his real name, uh, TJ. Sorry, TJ Uh which is Le- yeah, League of Legends coach, and then um, they also have an Overwatch coach. But but the the interesting part of that is that they also have a Rocket League coach that is not on campus. They actually hire him out, um, and he's like a former Rocket League professional that the the like college has set aside, or I guess like his program, um, their program, I should say, excuse me, uh, have set aside funds to to hire that person outside. So they pay them by the hour to coach their Rocket League team. So I think a lot of coaches uh, and and directors may have to look towards that before this big revolution of like, Oh, you know, colleges are actually looking to purchase or sorry, to hire mm-hmm. um not purchase time, but actually like hire coaches uh for their individual programs to stay and and work with students on campus full time. Mm-hmm. Um I my ideal program I think would be like a coach for every <laughs> for every uh, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. sport or e-sport and then the, you know dr- that frees up the director to do a lot of what they need to do as as an administrator essentially. And the way I pitched it to our high school programs in Illinois, um, essentially, was that you know, as a director of esports or as a general manager, you're essentially an athletic director on campus. Yeah. Because you've got six different esports, at least here in Illinois, to to manage. Excuse me. And each of them have their own season, and it's usually two, two, and two, and two. Like depending on what kind of seasons is being run at the time, um, you you are busy. You are very very <laughs> busy. Um, uh, as, a, as a just a high school director and those people uh, our average like pay for high school directors is what zero if not if anything you know it's like it's a, like at Naperville we were really really uh, uh, fortunate to pay our general managers both at Naperville North and Naperville Central uh, $2,000 a year essentially to, to help run the programs and the director also made another 2000 so that's at least like something on the table for them um, but I, I think it's it. there needs to be a big revolution. But speaking of oh, Illinois- Hold I on, Andy. To ta- I just want oh. to pause you. I, I, oh, I just, you've had the mic for so I, long. I know. I stole it
1: right back, though, and Mike I apologize. with the mic. <laughs> uh, right now, I'm hot on it. Um, the one thing I want to say is just to kind of clarify, we were specifically talking it just- full-time positions, right? I, again, agree, you know, if you're looking for part-time, you know, that makes a lot of sense, either per hour or maybe do the part-time around 25 to um, $30,000, really depending on where you're at. It could be a little bit lower, uh, depending on the specific nature that is required, but full-time, I'm I'm looking for at least 45 for that game coach. I just think it Yeah, it might a be to-
0: interesting. It might it might be interesting to actually hear from like a a head coach that is not air, or I'm sorry, a coach that a game coach that is not a head coach or director mm-hmm. that has like not not doesn't have those official responsibilities to hear about how they feel about their pay. Like that would be really interesting to get something someone like TJ if they were comfortable talking about like how how their pay and how it feels to be a League of Legends head coach in collegiate and versus how much they make, you know, like kind of, cause we know as directors, right? Everyone knows as directors that like you are completely overworked for how much you make, depending on what college you're at or college or university. Colin, I won't speak for you cause <laughs> I don't know what you make, but I'm just kind of making a generalization. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. If, if you want to elaborate on that, you totally can. But
2: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I can give you actually a pretty good insight on one of if, if like I make 35 K, um, that, that is what I make as a director. Um, now that has been, I was very unfortunate that I hit, I started the first year before COVID. So a lot of negotiations of increase in pay kind of went out the window as soon as COVID hit. Um, yeah. and then after COVID, everyone was still kind of reeling. Small private institutions are still kind of in a, a hole because their admissions took a big hit. So now they're just trying to figure out how to recover. Um, so I'm not, a, I'm not mad about it. Um, and there is, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is some positive yeah, news coming for me coming at the end of this year. Um, my assistant coach right now, Chris, which for, you know, we've talked about before, this is a national championship winning team. They won a SCA main. Um, He's over, he's working more with our varsity team for CSGO, but he does still work with our Academy team and he dabbles a little bit with our rainbow six team where, a lot of it's just kind of managerial. He just kind of makes sure that they're in the leagues they need to be in. And he works with them and gives them the resources they need where they kind of run a lot of their stuff themselves, which is super unfortunate. And I think you said before, the ideal scenario is a game for as a coach for every game. And that's, that's what I want to build towards within, you know, the resources provided to me, but he makes 10 per year. Um, And he would tell you, like they would ask, they would ask, uh, how do you feel? Like not enough. And I agree. It's not enough. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I think that's, that's a pretty rough spot to be in. And, And like, just to just to kind of elaborate a bit more, if if, if those of you who have list who are listening, and if you're interested in the like this kind of pay conversation, um, our very first episode, I believe, with um uh, 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 uh why am I blanking on this man's name? Former director Illinois Wesleyan, uh, Calm Fletcher, he has a really good insight about how he negotiated not only his Illinois Wesleyan job, like his position when he first got it, but also his new position at. Uh, the uso uh, he talks a lot about how being really firm with your negotiations are like it's just re- very helpful from the beginning um and i believe like he he's he talks a little bit about uh, what he's making at, at the uso now in the, which is amazing because he had just moved to that job um and he was very comfortable with sharing the fact that yeah i also negotiated that i can work from home you know when needed or you know like it's it's very much like a you know a lot of people have to realize that you're you're a commodity when it comes to esports because no one at that university is going to want to take up esports if if the hiring process oh, fails. Right? Absolutely not. I mean, no, it, it's people people avoid that like the plague, especially people who are uh, like I, I'm not I'm making another generalization here, but sports centered individuals who are maybe a little bit stuck in their ways do not want to touch us with a ten foot pole. But at, from a recruiting standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, so colleges are trying to force it, right? So I, I think yeah I think that's just a really interesting conversation to have in general and um, yeah if you, you were saying Colin I'm sorry
2: no you're you're fine I was I was saying like, I've I've seen some schools where they don't really hire from the outside they don't go through the hiring process it gets there's someone that works in IT or that works in the university that says yeah. oh this would be really cool and they're like yeah it would be here you go enjoy yourself. <laughs> And then so now like they're doing their 40-hour-a-week job and they're doing this on top of it. I know um, yeah. the former director at Jackson College was doing his job within the school and doing esports on top of it and actually stepped down from esports because the pay didn't justify the hours he was putting in. Plus, he was getting burnt out from overworking himself.
0: Yeah, that's, that's essentially how I was at Naperville for a long time. I mean, I'm comfortable sharing that now that I'm, I'm out of Naperville, but no harsh feeling to them because they, they have done – an amazing job supporting the program itself, um, but just because of, of it being a public school, there's not a whole lot that they can do with like paying personnel for these kind of things. Yeah. Um. Because just because it's so new, so I was working IT full time, um, and then doing esports, quote unquote, part time. But part of being a nationally recognized high school is you put in the work, right? You put you put in the hours that that are required to to kind of bring your your program up to that level of elite. Uh. You know. Just, just statements, I guess. Yeah, I, um, is the word I'm looking for. But
2: I think high schools are always going to be in a rough spot because everyone's broke. <laughs> and, yeah, s- and so totally. it's it's the same idea. Like I had a conversation with a uh, Sparta High School in Michigan, and they were looking to start an esports program. And in that conversation with their principal, I was very frank. I said, "You need to pay this coach." I said, "If you pay your football coaches, you pay your basketball coaches. Yeah, you need absolutely. to you need to pay them." Now, I'm not saying how much. You can look at the numbers and how it works out, um, but be aware, like, this is a job. This is this is a coaching job. These are athletes. They The coaches need to be compensated for their time. Right. And,
0: and if yeah. you're running a, a program with one or two teams and I can understand where they're like, okay, well, here's $1,000 to, like, pay for, you know, like, certain things here and there. Like, here's $2,000 at the high school level. Um, but you know, for, for us, we, we were a program of 180 strong for both schools, right? So that's me managing almost 300 students or above 300 students, um, you know, in an esports program, right? And it's, it's kind of like we're, we're the biggest program in the state, arguably maybe the nation for high school. Um, and it was, it was hard to – like we, we got everything we wanted essentially as a program for our students, which made me very happy, which made me want to stick around. Uh, because when I can ask for something like a resource, uh, we would get it because we're a big school district or we're a big school, um, but everything except for pay, right? So it, it, at some point, you kind of have to kind of make that decision where it's like, okay, well, I need to start thinking about myself and not like how much this program needs me, right? So after I left the program, um, our IT director at the district uh, was in sh- basically put in charge, and then uh, like as an interim director of eSports, uh, and he reached out to me saying uh, that he was going to make a pitch to the board to hire someone full time <laughs> as soon as I left, of course. Um, but, you know it, it takes something like that to happen, unfortunately yep. for a lot of people. But I'm excited to see that if Naperville does hire someone full-time, they'll be most likely the first full-time high school eSports director, um which I hope paves the way for a path for high schools because um you know our our football coach at Naperville, uh makes considerable amount of money. I'm just gonna say that outright. He's he's a head coach of football in a big school in a at a big high school, right? So he makes he makes north of what your assistant makes at Davenport. So I like I, I just I, I can see where Naperville can make this happen. So I'm hoping that, you know, people are gonna realize, by the way, we've won Five state championships in in three and a half years, you know, due to like double double games on schedules and whatnot. We've won five state championships, and we've given out six hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of scholarships in the last three and a half years. That's life changing money for a lot of these students. Some of them full rides to even colleges in Michigan, right? <laughs> Aquinas. So like, you know, like yeah, you know, yeah, like, I know
2: about Aquinas.
0: Well, you know, and and kind of like. Merging into what I wanted to kind of bring up earlier before I was uh, unfortunately rudely interrupted by my co host. Oh, Uh, I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) (laughs) now I'm Um, getting (laughs) flack. What I wanted to mention was we talk so much, I think, about Illinois as an esports ecosystem because Mike and myself are here and we respectfully, Mike and I have built. High school, high school and collegiate esports, I think here, like we we're part of the, the kind of framework that was, was built around esports in Illinois. I wanna hear a little bit more about Michigan. First of all, how long have you been involved in Michigan esports? I don't know if you're from Michigan, uh, but just Michigan esports in general, how does the framework feel when you, comparing to like Illinois, comparing to the high school scene in Texas, or in Indiana, um, or, or even in Ohio, what, what are the kind of things kinds of things that you hear about, uh, or even California, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, what, what are the kind of things you hear about in the high school and collegiate realm that is either missing or is even better in, in Michigan?
2: Uh, so I've been involved at least to some degree with Michigan eSports since I started the eSports program at Kalamazoo Central High School with myself and Carlo de Los Angeles, who's now the director at Albion. Um, we started that basically just because we had a bunch of students that were interested in doing eSports. A lot of them wanted to be involved in smash and i i heard about esports looked into there being a high school league and it's like oh hsel exists which hindsight now knowing what hsel is you know i i didn't have the fondest experience with them uh but michigan seems to just be a little bit behind the curve and i don't know if that's because of limited resources i don't know if that's um a lack of interest but i I'm still very old school in what I like to do in recruiting, so I like to actually physically go to schools and talk to teachers and have those discussions. And it seems like it's a lot of smaller schools that are involved in it or schools that are larger but there's just they don't have the resources allocated to them. I whenever I look at in the region of a very well-formed esports program or esports ecosystem, um I look at Illinois first and credit to you and what you what you and uh you know all the other coaches had done over there but you like you have you have the cat it was springfield capitals which are have a wonderful social media presence have a ton of yep. talent there naperville yep. north who has been amazing um i've always wanted to break into illinois more because i know there's a ton of there's a ton of uh talent there which also a lot of it is chicagoland based uh, my thought process has always been where there are numbers, talent, talent inherently exists, which is why metro areas, if they were to really invest, would have some um, just amazing programs. Uh, but oh, mis- yeah. Michigan just kind of feels like it's a little behind. And I can't really speak as to why. I know Indiana got a big boost because Ison is uh, sanctioned by the DOE in Indiana. They have that on what they do. So it seems like other outside leagues and whatnot have a harder time breaking into Indiana because the department of education already signed off on them. You know, Michigan has tried its hardest to fight against play versus, but it's slowly been finding its way into, into Michigan, which is unfortunate because they have a lot of money and they can throw it at a lot of people and get this accreditation from the principals association or something like that. They just have a, they have a fancy association uh, assigned to them like, Oh yeah, no, we're the only official state recognized esports organization like no my stuff has been around for a few years and it's run by some amazing people i think ted Kidd, oh yeah i think what ted kid is doing is, is yeah. fantastic
0: oh yeah um,
1: oh yeah but so are, you,
0: are you talking about play versus being like with the nfhs is that is that what you're talking about like that like they're, they're like they're partnered or officially partnered with like the national federation of High schools or something like that.
2: Is it yeah? Because they're like Mo uh, Moasp or something like that. Like they, there's one in Missouri <laughs> as well where it's this weird association that's associated with principals, and they, I, they I maybe
0: that I don't know that might be something separate. Yeah, but maybe they maybe they are. But they yeah they've tried their hardest in Illinois. But I think like we we were pretty fortunate to have a lot of uh, so so the IHSa which is our like school association that handles all of our sports and whatnot. They created a board for eSports, like a, uh, an advisory board for eSports like three or four years ago. And uh, two of those members are, are the founding members of the IHSEA being Todd McFarlane and Amy Whitlock. Um, so obviously they don't have a majority vote, but they also have eight or nine other educators there that all understand what eSports is so they can kind of speak to the, um, the issues that play versus rises. So they were never able to really get within our ranks, which is like, oh, godsend for us yeah um so that's when play versus started playing dirty and they allowed for teams to be signed up by students and not by just administrators i don't know if you know that but if if a if a student at your high school let's say let's say you were involved in some high school signed up for a, a, a to play ones in Fortnite by themselves but they they put down they go to davenport high school i should say that exists i don't know if it does um then they would be able to list Davenport High School as one of their partner schools. And that's what, that's the kind of marketing that goes out to their um, to their, uh, investors that makes people say, oh my God, Play Versus is the biggest league in the nation because they have 200,000 plus schools involved or 20,000 plus schools involved. And that's just not true. Like we, Our name at Naperville, we were a part of their marketing t- material that they sent to us. And we had our school send to cease and desist, our district send a cease and desist because they were using our name in their marketing material in Illinois. It was it was a mess. And and because of that, Play versus does not like me. Delane has me blocked on Twitter. It is what it is. I just <laughs> I, I know I'm doing something right if it is. Um, but yeah, so there there was this whole problem with it. And like you mentioned, Play versus kind of creeps themselves into states by saying, Oh, but we're partnered with the NFHS and we're partnered with the principal's associations and yeah, I I like what you're saying with that. Keep going.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've I've been super critical of play versus since they first announced so I remembered hearing about them through uh a guy that was working for them when I was doing my stuff with a yellow flag State champs esports um back in oh wow like twenty eighteen. Wow feels so long ago. Um and they, he pitched me like their pricing platform. I was like, I don't like that. I work, I was working in a low income school at the time. I was like, I would, I don't understand charging students to play games that they've already one purchased the license to, exactly. or that they're, or they it's a free to play game. They're going to play it anyways. Why are we exactly. now? Exactly. Ch- and if you're not offering any value to them during, in this pay to play structure, why are you charging them money? Um, so I was totally against that. Um, and then. I also heard during COVID from an Indiana teacher that their pricing structure would shift based on the school that they were trying to court. So it seemed like they would give a cheaper pricing structure to schools that were more talented, and then they would go back to their standard pricing structure for schools that had little to no talent. So do you bring value to play versus? Yes. Here's this great deal for you.
0: Do yeah, you? I think they, they put it like a one dollar sign up or something like that for a while for some of those schools. And uh-huh. then they also um, it's funny we, we caught them red handed. They were paying programs to sign up essentially for their uh, mailing list, which was pretty interesting. And mm. they, they like what they would pay the program by like sending them HyperX gear or sending them like just some sort of gear, uh in, in exchange for sign ups essentially. Um yeah. And it's, it's, it's so scummy. It's terrible.
2: And for a lot of high school teachers, I mean, we talk, I mentioned before, schools are just kind of broke. So if someone's saying, Hey, we're going to take care of your peripheral woes by sending you these peripherals, you just got to sign up for this mailing list, then we can spam you with all of this stuff. A lot of people are just like, it's a small price to pay, but I get to help my students be more involved in esports. I get to provide them with the resources they need. And I agree on, on play versus part. It comes across as extremely scummy, but I also don't fault teachers for buying into that because oh, no, they, no they're way. just trying to help their
1: students. That's all exactly. they're trying to do. Exactly.
0: Absolutely. Totally agree. So, and and kind of going off of that, you know, we, we talk a little bit about Play Versus and it just it so happens that we bring up their name all the time. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, you know, there are a lot of high school initiatives that that are being formed or have been formed They really run things uh, through. Can you can you talk a little bit about the Michigan high school initiative?
2: I think it's like I mean I said before I think it's a bit behind the curve, but at the same time I think it's still growing strong. I I think. Sure. Yeah. I've talked to Ted uh, beginning of this year because I was starting to do my recruiting trail and like, hey, what's going on with my stuff? What are you guys doing? Um, they announced their partnership with COVAX, which is great, considering there is um, a ton of really good FPS schools in Michigan. So it makes sense for the high schools to now partner with the AIM trainer that most of these colleges are already partnered with anyways. So I think there's there's a lot of growth and there's it's it's – I'm looking forward to what's coming down the road for them because I think that they are – they're, they're positioned to grow exponentially over the course of a few years. Also, the Midwest seems to be the strongest region, in my opinion, for esports as a whole. Be- between having Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, and Michigan all in that one group with very strong state esports organizations that are ran by educators and aren't ran by you know people that don't know what they're doing or don't really care, um, it's, it's good to see. I think the high school realm has a lot of growing to do, and that's outside of Michigan as well. It's For me, being an, a collegiate director, I have gone to co- high schools before. I said, you guys are kind of doing the dirty work right now because as you grow, it impacts us as well. I love that I can kind of go out and I can say, oh, there's these students that are performing extremely well in this particular title. I mean, the amount of 4K plus SR. Overwatch players I'm seeing recently or students in Rocket League that are rank B plus, rank A is great. But I I want to kind of tap into that grassroots going into my backyard and finding skill and finding talent. And as high school grows, we'll be able to do that more often. Because right now we're all fighting over the same like five kids in our state. Right, uh, right. But I mean, Michigan's, Michigan's doing fine. Michigan is on, is on the come up. Uh, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some more buy-in probably from the MHS. uh Mihsaa, uh, or basically the high school, the basic high school sports association, um, just to say, yeah, we're going to do this. I remember sitting in a when I was an assistant AD, sitting in an athletic director's conference room, and the head of the uh, MHSAA saying, yeah, this is one of our initiatives over the next five years. It was esports, uh, but most of the room was met with groans and and chuckles. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's shifting. But you have to you have to get the buy-in. I think ADs have to also buy in as well. The teachers are great, but there are resources they don't have access to that they could through athletics. The ADs just need to buy in. Um, MHSA needs to say, hey, we're doing esports and we're going to work with my to do it and we're going to make sure that we're going to do it the right way. And then I think at that point, it just explodes, right? Now you're in every high school in, in Michigan, which is 200, 300 different high schools.
0: Yeah, I, I agree, and I think the the approach that some of these state orgs are taking, um, I feel like there are three kind of approaches right now, right? Number one is they just signed with Playversus immediately because play is offering them money, right? And so that they're just like, okay, well, yeah, well, if you're going to take care of this headache that we have that's called esports, then sure, why not, right? They'll they'll do that. Number two is that they'll sign with. Um, like state organizations like the ihsa or myself like that is the right approach because you've got local people running local tournaments and that have a history of success already so if you're anybody listening from any one of these like state associations this is definitely the right option by the way um and then number three um is kind of the approach that the ihsa the ihsa excuse me are taking is that they have said okay well we don't recognize play versus at all fine we recognize that the IHSA has been successful for the last six years. And so here's information to reach out to them if you want to play with this. But the IHSA said, okay, we're going to run tournaments on our own, except it's just going to be the playoffs and finals. So they're running it essentially like a a traditional sport would, where you've got your conferences that can come from anywhere, right? So, So in Naperville, they participate in the DVC, DuPage Valley Conference and that determines who is the DVC champion. That team gets sent to the IHSA, and the IHSA says, a- HSA says, okay, that's fine. We'll accept these tournament results. This team is invited to play in our top 16 tournament, essentially, or however many you know leagues there are or, or um, divisions there are in the state. Um, so that, that approach is kind of like meeting in the middle, I feel like. Uh, but a lot of these, like, I, I, I was shocked to hear that that's the approach they took because there's not a whole lot of people – if at all at the ihsa that want to run tournaments right now. like I, I don't know how much experience they have maybe they do maybe they maybe someone's son wants to run a smash tournament and that's why they, they pick smash right so like maybe that's what it is but i i was kind of puzzled to hear that they wanted to do it themselves but i think good on them to try to understand it and experience it for a year and hopefully once they see that you know we kind of run things anyway already and they, they they obviously didn't say that we couldn't run anything they said no we want to run concurrently with the IHSCA because we recognize that they're awesome and they do great work um and they they even go as far as putting our information on their website which is a great relationship to have um but i think that the if you're going to take that extra half step you might as well kind of take the full step right and just kind of let the IHSCA do all the work for you since we, you know the IHSCA has already kind of done that for the last couple of years so I'm hoping that, that Michigan kind of goes that same way. Um, as you mentioned, Like it, re- it would be really exciting to hear that, that their state association kind of work with the, um, the, the high school eSports state association there, um, and that, that would be a good partnership because, again, Ted, he's, he's an awesome guy. Everything that's going on over there is just amazing. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up here, actually. We're already 52 minutes in. Uh, surprisingly enough, time goes by super fast.
1: I blinked um, I, and we jumped yeah, thirty it, minutes. <laughs> yeah,
0: seriously, um, Colin. You know some, something that we do kind of towards the end of our uh, podcast, we actually run two segments. Um, number one is we. <laughs> this is a fun one. We usually go through our guests' Twitter accounts and ask for some context around a tweet okay. that they've made. Okay. Okay. Um, some people get nervous. Some people don't. Um, I don't I honestly when I was doing a little bit of research on your your account uh, a lot of this is in support of your program and a lot of it is like a retweets of your program Um, so I I have a kind of a leading question to this how often or how, how what was your Twitter presence before you got involved in esports because this might be interesting for viewers to hear.
2: Um, it was a lot of retweets to support of the high school I was working for. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So uh, I learned fairly early on when I was doing Twitter um, to be very aware of what I put forth. Um, I actually got in trouble when I was working for FedEx for putting something on Twitter that had the word FedEx in it and then something that was negative about the company. Really? Um, yes. Wow. So they had people that worked for them that would go through Twitter or would go through social media and look for mentions of their names and they say, oh, there's this thing. And because it had to do exclusively with something you would only see if you worked within that particular division of FedEx, they knew it was an employee. And then you can kind of track it down from there. So my boss brings me into his office. He was like, is this you? It has a printout of my tweet. Oh I go, my god! Go, yeah, Yeah, that's me. Uh, He goes, what's the deal? And it had to do, I was frustrated that morning and I had a really bad experience with something that we had moved and I tweeted about it. And so he was like, look, man, like you just can't do this because people that we have people that we pay to look for this type of behavior. I said, okay. So um, that actually was an old Twitter account. It doesn't exist anymore. Um, And then once I started working, once I started working for. Uh, Kalamazoo Central High School as a football coach. During my interview, the principal was very upfront. She's like, "Eventually, people will know who you are, and they will look at your social media, and they will take cues from that, or the, they can they can see if like you're saying things negative, or how are you representing yourself as a member of this school? Because you are a steward of it, you need to hold yourself in a specific way. So I learned from her on that as well. So basically, a lot of what I do is, it's either I'm trying to portray a particular um, type of like who I want people to see because I think that's right. essentially what social media is. So if you deep dive back like a month or so ago, you'll see a ton of stuff about me working out because I was like, all right, you know, if I'm not doing stuff supporting my school, what am I doing? like, Well, I'm working out a lot. Um, or supporting my wife because she just hit partner on Twitch, things of that nature. But I, Oh wow. That's awesome. Oh
1: wow. Congrats.
2: Yes. Um, But I'm, I'm very careful. Like I know that I'm going to have an employer that is going to look at my tweets. It's going to look at my social media and I represent the brand. So I represent Davenport right now as their director of esports, as their head coach. However, I'm, I'm talked about within their Mm. internally. So I always feel like I have to hold myself a certain way. Now I am not saying anything about I mean, we, he was a former podcast guest of yours, uh, Mr. Hot Takes Adam Antor. Um, yeah. <laughs> what he, what he does is awesome. I think he brings to light some very important discussions and very important topics, Yeah, but I've, because I've been almost conditioned from previous experiences of like, Oh, I need to hold, hold myself accountable in a certain way that it's a lot easier for me to be like, Oh, well I have a, a decent Twitter following. I'm just shy of a thousand and I want to make sure that my students are getting the spotlight that they deserve. It's just easier to hit that retweet. I also use TweetDeck, so it's right there on my screen at the same time when I post a tweet. and Just hit it real quick; we're good to go. I just want to—I nice.
1: just want to jump in really quick too. Like, for any of the listeners out there, especially my ex-students, like. As you can hear, you know, from from another individual, you know, what you're putting on social media can come back to haunt you. We're not just saying it because, you know, Not we're only being, can
0: it, it will. It being, will come back to haunt you. Hold on.
1: That. It will, okay, it will come back and haunt you. Like we're not just saying it cuz we're old people. Well, we are, <laughs> but we're not just saying it cuz we're old people. So be careful, but at the same time, do not silence yourself. You know, make sure that you get your point out, but but in a very educated, critical way, but that is not disrespectful. That's all I wanted to say. Go ahead, Andy. Hit him with the next one.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I, that's, that's, first of all, amazing advice, uh, and I, you're going to struggle with the next segment because of that. Um, but anyway, that, that's amazing advice that you gave, Colin. Um, and, I, and I just want to kind of get just a fun one real quick um i was actually going to bring up your your workout routine and ask what your prs are if you have those off the top of your head you'd love to hear it oh
2: you already know i have off the top of my head so right, right. now um <laughs> i haven't done a pr day for bench press but extrapolating the numbers based on what i can do casually i'm probably in the 345 to 350 range from one max. wow okay um my I've only been doing box squat because I tore my ACL back in 2017, and so I'm very, I'm very cautious about how I treat my knees. So I don't, I haven't done full depth squats. Now I'm probably going to end up working my way up to it. I've got a knee brace, but my box squat max right now is in the three, is I think it's 355. Very nice. Um, and I can't do my deadlift max unless I, until I start working on straight bar because the hex bars that we have at Davenport max out at 315, and I can do that with reps so um the goal is box squat of 400 by end of year uh bench press if i can hit 360 i'm fine with that by end of year and deadlift i eventually want to start pushing like 450. i want to find myself in the 1200 pound club and the reason behind that is i want to do uh one of our fundraisers for davenport is a -a lift-a-thon because i think it plays into this neat idea of esports athletes don't work out that we just sit all the time and we don't do anything active So I'm like, look, what an easy way for you to raise money because what we can do is you can get a sponsor to pay per pound that you lift. And I'm gonna do it as well. I'm gonna be there in the trenches with you guys also lifting because the money that I raise impacts your ability to do more of this program and therefore makes my life more fun and more easy. I get to go on more trips and see more places (laughs) and do more things. Um, So if I can get somebody to say, oh, that's really funny. I wonder how much you can actually lift and they even do 50 cents a pound. And I put up twelve hundred total pounds. They're on the hook for six hundred bucks. Yeah,
0: you're you're so esports oriented. I, everything that I ask you, even like lifting, is comes right back to esports. And I love that. I just I love I love that. I hope your 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 current, previous, and past or future uh, employers definitely appreciate that because you are you are a master of the craft, good sir. You just keep talking about. It. I love that. Uh, Cause sometimes I catch people and they're like, they'll talk about the subject and they it's like never related back to esports. but you, you really brought it all the way back. Um, last but not least, I wanted to ask about your header. So detonate, can you tell yep. me a little bit more about what
2: detonate is? So uh, do you mind if I give you a little bit of backstory on it? Please? No, go for okay. it. Okay. So um, uh, I think it was earlier this year, a acquaintance or like, so there was a guy that I met that was a good friend of a former student of and after that student left my program, which he left on good terms, it's just, it wasn't a good fit. Um, his friend was like, I want to start an esports work org. And he was like, Hey, I know this guy, he's the director over at Davenport. You should get in touch with him. So he got in touch with me. We had a conversation. I was like, look, man, I'm out of my depth with this one. I don't have any idea where to start. So the first thing we did was we talked to Dan Clerkey. We had a conversation with him, just kind of like. What are the what are the ins and outs and the do's and don'ts because I know United is is well respected. They're a good brand name. You know, how do they get where they're at? So we had a conversation with him. and then that transitioned to us having a conversation with the current owner of Detonate named Lavosky. So we set up a meeting with Lavosky and it basically turned out that Ty, who is um, a part of Detonate, would become one of the founders. He would be someone that would help with like the business side of things. And because of my experience with eSports as a director, I took over the GM role. So my role for the most part hasn't been the most involved. Um, the most part is Detonate, they qualified for Premiere through CSGO. Crazy, I'm involved in more CSGO stuff. Um, but they qualified after <laughs> having a conversation where it was really Lavosky coming to me, he's like, hey, look at this roster, what do you think? And we've been talking to these guys for a little bit. And I was like, you've got half of a roster of former Premier players and two others that are coming out of a really good advanced season. It's a no-brainer. If you want to pick up a roster and you want to have a group of players you want to put your brand behind, this is a really good one to do it. And here they are. They ran through advance. They only lost to Godsent and ATK, who Godsent is now in the pro league because they beat Team Liquid and jumped straight up in there. And wow. ATK got the Premier spot that Godsent was supposed to get even finishing second in advance and detonate finished third. So they lost the teams they were supposed to lose to, and they beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. And they knocked team mythic out of, uh, out of premiere, which is really funny in the CSGO scene. Uh, Josiah was a player for team mythic and only had his verified checkmark because he was playing on team mythic. The second he left mythic, he, uh, Twitter revoked his checkmark.
0: Oh no. Wow. Um,
2: like it was, Penny. it was real quick come on
0: twitter it's not costing (laughs) you anything to give the man a check come on
2: but yeah i mean it's it's been a really good experience for me i continue to learn more about the esports scene and i think that only allows me to do my job better
1: right and
2: i talk about like my coaching mantra is using esports as a platform to offer opportunities to students who wouldn't have them through traditional sports because i came from high school and whatnot um it allows me to potentially offer opportunities to students at the collegiate realm into the pro realm, whether it be a T2, T3 org, where they can earn a paycheck um, and they can have that pro experience um, as Davenport being kind of a um, a pipeline to that. So that was a big thing for me. was like, I would like to have detonate eventually looking at DU students as potential former players for the brand.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's, and that's a lot of value that you bring too yeah. for, for not only DU, but also your students. I think that's amazing. Uh, big kudos, by the way. That's 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 no easy task to pick up. a Yeah, I just picked up a slight general manager role at an amateur organization. <laughs> you know, that's some slight work. Humble uh, shrug.
1: You know, it's not big of a deal or anything. Yeah.
0: Well, so so uh, we're we're getting way past our time here. So I, you know, we, we respect your time. Yep. I Want to give you 60 seconds here um, to just kind of go ahead and talk about what you would like to just scream to the clouds, scream to the heavens. You have 60 seconds to stand on a soapbox. Everyone's going to listen. What do you want to say to the audience? It could be either advice. It could be a self-promo. It can be something that you want to talk, like just people to understand or maybe promote a, a future conversation in collegiate or, or esports or just beyond. Um, you have 60 seconds to do that starting right now. Go for it, Colin.
2: I think we kind of all exist in an echo chamber, so what I'm going to say is not going to be ex- ex- extremely controversial, but I would love to see more Division one colleges really get involved with esports, like whole hog. Get in there, full ride scholarships, tons of of resources, coaches for every game, and kind of set that that standard for this is what big time collegiate esports looks like. Because I think right now we have a ton of smaller colleges that you know we're we're making waves, but those big colleges have so much more brand power and a lot more notoriety that even like. It'll help, it'll help the scene as a whole once you have the big players in the game finally taking notice and be like, yes, this is something that we want to do. So the more we see of that, the better the the entire ecosystem will advance and the better that all of us coaches, I mean, we talked about pay, the more we'll get paid and the better, we'll, the better off we'll be and just the healthier the whole scene will end up being. And then follow at du underscore esport if you want to see things for Davenport.
0: There you go. Awesome. <laughs> Great. Good. That was a good way to capstone that. Uh, thank you so much, Colin, for being on the podcast. Mike, do you have any parting words?
1: Uh, my parting words are these are some nice Davenport jerseys. Like I, we're going to have to get one, Andy. We're going to have to get one each. These are pretty sleek. I so I'll tell but, you. I'll tell you no what. Mike.
2: We haven't announced it yet, but because we won ESEA Maine, we're going to. If you see the 21 jerseys, which are the they're the marbly liquid ones. We have a white one of that. But we're going to do a signed jersey for all of our students that won ESEA Maine as well as our coach as a giveaway on Twitter because we did so well. I think they're a sick-looking That's jersey. cool. So yeah. we're going to be announcing that soon. But if you want one, all you have to do is just follow us on on Twitter to be in, uh, entered into getting that jersey.
1: Well, I know what I'm awesome. doing. Yeah, I know what I'm <laughs> doing too. And
0: and I hope that our viewers also have that opportunity. I don't know what the timing, but either way, you should go follow them on Twitter because they're an awesome ward. Um, really doing great things and, and Colin of course that's the figurehead just doing amazing things so thank you so much Colin for being on the podcast Mike it's been a pleasure of course as always uh, and, and we will see you all in two weeks thank you for listening bye bye peace